Please open your Bibles. If you have a Bible, open your Bible to Acts chapter 6. And if you don't have a Bible with you, we've got Bibles in these black chair box pockets. You're welcome to borrow. And if you don't own a Bible, please keep that Bible um, as our gift to you. So Acts chapter 6, Acts is in the New Testament, sort of towards the back of your Bible after the Gospels. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. Acts chapter 6, starting in verse 1. And if you wouldn't mind following along as I read, or you can just follow along on the screen behind me. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicolaus, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed And laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase. And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Will you pray with me? Father, how wonderful to be together again. And how wonderful to be together around your word. Thank you that you are a God who speaks and you don't. You don't just speak one time and then kind of you're quiet, but you speak again and again when your word is opened. You speak to us and you show us ourselves and you show us Jesus and you make us who you want us to be. So God, please, by your spirit, be at work that way this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, life is full of hard choices, times when you can't have it both ways, like should I marry her or not? Should I stay in Cayman or take the job back home? Right? Should I get the turkey chipotle sandwich at Paperman's or the chicken curry sandwich? I can't buy both. Which one can I have? As an American, who am I going to support to actually win the World Cup? The Springboks or the All Blacks? Because I don't think we're going far. I can't have it both ways, right? But There are times when we feel like we have to choose between two things, when in reality we can and must have it both ways. And that's the situation the church in Jerusalem was in in this passage. So this is the church that kind of sprang into existence after Peter stood up at the festival of Pentecost. This huge crowd of Jews had gathered and he preached about Jesus, how he's God's son, how he rose from the dead, how everyone should trust in him for forgiveness. And 3,000 people believed. 3,000. And they started meeting together, caring for one another as a church. And then after this, we saw the last couple weeks that Peter and John, two of the apostles, were walking to the temple. They happened to heal a guy, and then a huge crowd gathered. And Peter saw another opportunity. He preached the gospel again. And Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, tells us that the number of the men, just men who had believed, came to about 5,000. So we have thousands of people, new Christians, meeting together, having an impact on the community, bringing other people in. And, and Luke tells us that the number, that multitudes of both men and women, multitudes, 
We're becoming Christians, trusting in Jesus. The church is getting bigger and bigger and bigger, and that's great because it means more people loving Jesus. It means more people impacting the community, but it also creates problems. And we see one of the problems is that people start to get overlooked in the church, and that's what we see in verse 1 of our passage. Now, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. So what's going on here is that ever since this church began, this church has been marked by its generosity, that, that those who have more than they need are giving their money, they're selling property and bringing the money in, they're making sure that everybody's needs are met, that the whole church has what they need. And the, the people that are taking care of this are the apostles. So we see like, guys like Barnabas, uh, he sells a field, come, and, and he brings the money and puts it at the feet of the apostles. So these apostles are the guys that when Jesus was around, they were following him around, learning from him. Now they become kind of the leaders of the church. And, and so they're, they're preaching the gospel, and they're kind of organizing the church, and they're taking this money in and making sure everybody gets what they need. And as the church gets bigger, that gets harder, and people start to complain. So it says that the Hellenists are complaining against the Hebrews. And what that means is, at this time, the church is still mostly Jews. It's mostly people who come from a Jewish background, but some of them are from a Greek-speaking background, and those are the Hellenists. And some of them speak Aramaic, which is the language that people in Israel spoke at the time and they're the Hebrews. So the Hebrews are like the locals. They're the guys that, that grew up in Jerusalem or in Israel. They're from around here. And the Hellenists are expats. They grew up somewhere else in the Roman Empire and ended up migrating to Jerusalem. They might have come far, a long distance to come to celebrate Pentecost. And they heard the gospel, became Christians, and just decided, we're staying. We want to do this. We want to grow this way. So you've got these people, these expats, in this Hebrew church, and they feel like they're getting overlooked when the money's getting handed out to make sure that all the widows have what they need. And so the apostles kind of come to a crisis point. Well, they, they have to ask, like, we're, we're maxed out here. We, we don't know. We can't, we can't keep doing everything. So what's our priority here? Are we going to be the church that, that makes sure everybody's needs are met, everyone's full, everyone has the money they need? Um, are we going to be that kind of like the the love church, or are we going to be the truth church? Are we going to be people that, that we keep preaching Jesus and that other stuff just has to go to the side because we can only do so much and we've got to preach? So are we going to be the love people or the truth people, or is there maybe a third way God has for us? So as we walk through this crisis, as we see how the apostles respond to it, we're going to see what kind of church God wants us to be, what kind of Christians God wants us to be. So in this passage, we're going to see the necessity of service, this outlines on the back of your bulletin, the priority of proclamation, the resolution of the tension, and the outcome. So first, the necessity of service. We must show practical love to one another. So when these, these people came to complain that their widows weren't being fed, the apostles could have said to them, look, we get that you're hungry, but that's not really what Christianity is about. Christianity is, it's about preaching the gospel, and it's about praying, and it's about, you know, missions, and food. Food is just not spiritual, right? Food, you can kind of take care of yourselves. We're the church. But they don't say that. What they say in verse 3 is, 
Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, honest men, full of the spirit and of wisdom, who we will appoint to this duty. They say, you're right. This is a problem. It is a problem that not everyone has what they need, and we want to do something about it. So why don't you go pick the seven best guys you can find, and we'll gather them, we'll pray for them, we'll, we'll equip them, and we'll send them into ministry because we have to, you're right, we have to take care of this. We have to make sure these people get fed. And so these apostles knew that showing tangible, practical love is of the essence of what it means to be a Christian. They heard Jesus himself say it over and over again. Jesus said that the second greatest commandment in the whole scriptures is you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And they heard Jesus say that at the end of the age, when he sits on his throne, that we're going to be judged according to whether we showed love to the least of his brothers, the least of those who belong to him, whether we clothed them and fed them, whether we visited them when they were sick and in prison. They were with him the night before he died when he said, by this, all men will know you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So they know that they have to show practical love. They can't be followers of Jesus and just let these people go hungry. They have to show practical love to one another, and so do we. Because Sunrise has a lot in common with this church, right? We're a growing church with people from a diversity of backgrounds, and it's easy for people to get overlooked here. And it's, it's honestly easier for people to get overlooked if we insist on only being friends with people like us. Right? So if you're, if you're a married South African and all your friends are married South Africans, you are going to be up to speed with the needs of the married South Africans, but you're not going to see where the needs are in the rest of the church. We need, to, we need to be building friendships with people that aren't like us so we can see their tangible needs. Most people don't think that in this church where the, the, uh, the Hellenists were being overlooked, they don't think it was an issue of discrimination where the apostles just said, like, oh, well, they, they don't speak our language. We're not going to feed them. They think it was probably just an oversight. It got so big, they couldn't feed everybody, and so they, they fed the ones they knew about. So, so that's not the kind of church we want to be, and the apostles took care of it, right? We don't want to be the kind of church where everyone kind of mixes in their own spheres, but we don't see the needs of the whole church. We, want, we, we don't want to be the, the church that just kind of like, that our love is just like warm feelings and big hugs on Sunday morning. We want to be the church that shows practical, tangible love to one another. And as a side note, not just to the people in this room, but to all believers, right? Just like Raul was saying, to the believers in Honduras, they're part of the family too. But here, th- there are needs in this church that many of us aren't aware of. There are people here who are struggling to make ends meet. There are people here who are in and out of the hospital. There are people here who are overwhelmed with the demands of family life and full-time work. And we can help one another. We can, we can cook dinner. We can give rides. We can clean homes. We can buy groceries. We can babysit kids. We can visit the hospital. We can serve one another practically. And we hope to have lots of opportunities to show people love outside of Sunrise, too, outside of the church, like we do at Georgetown Primary, like you do with your next-door neighbors. We hope to have lots of opportunities like that, but that's not where we start. The Apostle Paul says in the book of Galatians, chapter 6, he says, So as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. So we should be doing good to everyone, 
and especially to those who are of the household of faith. And so here's kind of what that looks like, okay? So, so God calls me, as a Christian, to love my neighbors as myself. If I, have, if I have more than I need and my neighbors are going without, he calls me to care for them. But my first responsibility is to my family, right? My wife and my kids. I, I want to help those around me, but I shouldn't be giving so much away that my own children are going hungry. So my first priority is them, but then I want to move out from there. And that's kind of how this works for us. God wants us to focus. He wants us to pay attention to the needs of believers, to the needs of Christians, care for one another, and then out of the overflow, then we're going to be caring for those in our community, those who come across our path, our, all of our neighbors. But there's a danger in becoming a church that's really focused on serving. It doesn't mean we shouldn't do it, but there's a danger we need to see, and the apostles see it right away. So first, we've seen the necessity of service. Secondly, the priority of proclamation. We must not let service distract us from our mission. Look at verse 2. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. So they say, it's, it's right that this should happen. These widows have to get taken care of. This has to happen. But it's not right that we should be the ones to do it. And it's not because the apostles are too good to help widows. That's what they've been doing the whole time. It's because they have a very specific mission that they're the stewards of that Jesus gave to them. In, in the first chapter of Acts, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus tells the apostles what their life is going to be about. He says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So he tells them that their goal in life is to be witnesses, to tell other people what they've seen and what they've heard, that God became a man and that he lived a perfect life of love, that he died on a cross in the place of sinners, that he came out of his grave triumphant over death, that he offers forgiveness to all people. He's, he's made them the stewards of that message, to be witnesses to what he's done. And, and Luke, in the book of Acts, calls this message about Jesus, he calls it the word, or sometimes the word of God. And Acts is the story about how this word, this word about Jesus, makes it all the way from Jerusalem to the end of the earth. So it, Acts kind of begins with Peter in Jerusalem preaching, and it ends with the apostle Paul in Rome preaching the same message at the capital of the empire, the end of the world. Acts is the story of this word about Jesus getting out. That's what the apostles are called to do. They're called to equip the church so that everyone's getting the message out. And so the apostles know they have to lead the church to love one another. They have to equip everybody to serve, but they can't let, they can't let that take the place of the mission, because the mission isn't just loving. The mission is proclaiming something, this good news about Jesus, so that more and more people become disciples of Jesus. And it's easy, it's easy to get this wrong, to think that um, just because we're becoming loving people, because we're taking care of our family, and because we're caring for our neighbors and impacting our community, that that's the whole show. And it's not, it's not the whole show. It's really, really important, but Christianity isn't first a way of life. Christianity is first news. It's news about what God has done through Jesus, news that God wants to get out through us, through everyone here. He wants to get this news out, and that's the mission. 
And if we get so, so focused on like a, a certain way of living, loving and serving, it's easy to lose focus on the mission. So um, the American football season has just begun, which some of you I know are very excited about. Many of you care nothing about, uh, especially now that it's World Cup time. But a football team kind of provides a good picture of this. So you have to, you have to make the mental switch now when I say football. I mean the one with the hands, not the feet. So a football team has to do lots of things, right? A football team has to block, like the offensive line. They have to run. The football team has to kick at times. But none of those things is the mission. The mission is score more points than the other team. It's move the ball down the field and do that more times than the other team does. And if, if anyone on the team begins to think that the, that the main thing the team is supposed to do is block, right, that you don't win a game by just blocking the whole thing has to come together. All those pieces serve the mission, but they're not the mission. The mission is bigger. And that's the way it is in the church. There's lots of things we have to do. We have to meet together. We have to serve one another. We have to love. But none of those things is the mission. The mission is preaching Jesus and making disciples of him. So, the disciples tell the church, this has to happen. Pick out seven godly men but we can't do it. What they say in verse 4 is, we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And I I think it's wonderful (laughs) that he puts prayer first. That it's not just preaching because they need the power of God behind the preaching. First, it's prayer. We'll give ourselves to prayer, accessing God's power, and then the word will go out and will be effective. So on the one hand, the apostles knew we have to serve one another in love. We have to care for one another. And they knew we can't let that distract us from the mission. So thirdly, we're going to see the resolution of the tension, how, they, how these things work together. More godly leaders and full church participation. So that's how the apostles keep the mission central without neglecting love. They, they get everybody engaged. They say to the church, This is a problem, and you have a part to play. We want you to be the ones to go find these seven guys. Go find us some godly men and put them in place. And that's just what happened in verse 5. And what the apostles said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicolaus, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. So, so they got more leaders, right? As a, as a church grows, as it gets more diverse, it needs more godly leaders who take responsibility for organizing people, getting them engaged in the ministry of the church. And, and many, many people who study the Bible have seen in this passage the beginning, kind of the, the archetype of the two main offices in a local church, which are elders and deacons. So elders, which are also called pastors, are the, the, the guys that, um, that focus on the praying and the preaching, shepherding believers, helping people come to love God more, the direction of the church. And then there are these guys called deacons, guys and girls, deacons who, um, who serve the church by, by taking over kind of tangible ministry areas, who, who make sure that people who don't have enough food are fed and people who need a little help with their rent, that the money's taken care of. They, they take over practical aspects 
of the ministry of the church so that the elders can focus on the big picture mission, equipping people to serve and to speak the gospel to their neighbors. So at sunrise, we have ministry teams, which are groups of people that do, that do this essential, wonderful work of serving the vision of the church. People like the tech team and the worship team and the greeters, these people that, that we love and we need. And they have ministry team heads who lead those teams, who, who do such a wonderful job that Ryan and I don't have to think about it. They take responsibility for these areas to make sure that the care and the service is happening so the elders can focus on the mission. Now, there are, there are kind of two ways that people think about church. Two ways you can think about this. And sometimes when people say the church, what they're thinking of and what they mean is the staff. They're thinking of the people who are paid full-time. So Ryan and me. And the church exists to provide services like worship, Sunday worship, and kids ministry, and small groups. And kind of everybody else goes to church, and they take advantage of the services, and they get a blessing, and they enjoy it, and they go their way. That's one way to think about what we mean when we say the church, but it's not the way the Bible wants us to think about it. When the Bible says the church, the Bible means us. It means all of us. We are the church, and and the ministry of the church is something everybody owns and everybody has a part to play in. So, so at sunrise, we have elders. We have Pastor Ryan and me and Kevin McCormick and Gordon McRae, and, and we try to set ourselves apart to focusing on the big picture and the mission and advancing the gospel and helping people grow in Christ and getting everyone engaged. Our role isn't to do the ministry. Our role is to equip everybody else to do the ministry. So one of the pictures the Bible uses for the church is a body. Like, a, imagine your own body. And that gets two things done, right? One thing is, it shows that every part needs to be working, right? Your, your hands have to be working, your feet have to be working, lungs, heart. Nobody gets, like, a day off, right? Nobody's just along for the ride. Every part's working, and it's really important that the parts be different, right? It, it would be no consolation to have four hands if you had no lungs, right? You need both. You need all the parts doing what God has made them to do. But when every part's working, the body is growing and living and doing what it's supposed to. And that's how the church is supposed to be. So we all, everyone in this room, needs to find what part of the body we are, how God wants us to serve. Some serve by showing tangible love to those with material needs. Some serve by leading teams. Some serve by mentoring new believers. Some serve by study and teaching. Many serve by doing a couple different things, but just a couple, right? Even the apostles couldn't do everything, which is why they raised up more leaders. So have you found the place for you? Have you found the part you're supposed to be in the body? And if you haven't, are you actively seeking it out? You can ask your friends and ask your community group leader, how do you think God's gifted me? What, what am I good at? And where's the place I can use that to bless God's people? You can check out our ministry teams and see if one kind of resonates with you. We all need to find our place to serve, but there's, there's one way that I don't want you to mishear me, and that's when I say everyone needs to find a place to serve, I don't mean everyone needs to like get on a ministry team. Like you all need to be at least once a Sunday, once a month, wearing your volunteer t-shirt. 
Not everyone's place to serve will be on a ministry team. Some of you will serve by being encourager to people around you. Some of you will serve by having an outreach in your neighborhood. Some of you will serve in, in wonderful, imaginative ways that don't fit neatly into one of these boxes, and that's okay. You don't have to be on a team. The important thing is to find how God has made you and then to serve the body that way. So, Acts 6 shows us that the way to make sure we show practical love to one another without neglecting the mission is for us to have more godly leaders and for everyone to be involved. And Luke shows us what happens when it's all working together. So the outcome, finally, is more disciples of Jesus. Look at verse 7. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. So the, the church came through the crisis. They didn't have to choose between serving and proclaiming. They got everything done, and the gospel just exploded. It said the word increased. It continued to increase. So the apostles were free to preach it. There were more disciples, so more people were sharing it with their neighbors and at work and, and in the areas around where they live with their families. The word continued to increase. The number of disciples multiplied. More and more people loving Jesus. And he says, and even some of the priests, a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. The, the priests, you might remember, were opponents of Jesus. They're the guys who came out when Peter and John were preaching and they arrested them and told them, don't talk about Jesus anymore. And the church, as it continues to preach and as everyone continues to love, is so compelling that even these opponents of the gospel trust in Jesus and are born again. It's amazing. So why is this combination so effective? This, what is it about love and truth, about, about serving and proclaiming that is so compelling? And there are lots of good reasons to that question, lots of good answers, but I think the main one is because it looks like Jesus. Nobody, nobody put this together the way Jesus did. He lived a life of sacrificial, practical love for people around him. He fed the hungry, right? Even if he had to, like, make more food. He healed the sick. He, he went to funerals, and he comforted those who were mourning, and then he raised the dead people back, from, back to life. Jesus, at times, like, tried to take a vacation, and he couldn't even take a vacation because people would follow him, and he couldn't not teach them. He couldn't not care for them. Jesus lived a life of love and he served, but he also never let his serving take the place of proclaiming, of the mission he came to accomplish. He came to bring good news and accomplish salvation, and, and nothing turned him aside. There's this, there's this wonderful moment early in his ministry where Jesus has spent like a whole night healing people, doing good things, and the next morning, Everyone's looking for him. Like, where is Jesus? We need him to stay and do more good things. His disciples find him and say, everyone's looking for you. And Jesus says, we need to go to the next towns to preach, for that is why I came out. So he loved to heal, but he came out to preach, to give good news, to point people to salvation that he was going to accomplish. His whole life was focused on going to the cross, achieving salvation. And after all, that is the most practical love of all. At the beginning of the book of Acts, Luke tells us that, that his earlier book, the gospel according to Luke, was about all that Jesus began to do and to teach, which implies that this book, Acts, is about what Jesus continued to do and to teach, and he continued to do it 
through the church. So everyone who trusts in Jesus, who is born again by his grace, becomes part of his body, which is filled with the Spirit, and now are doing, are serving, and are teaching, are proclaiming our Jesus continuing to work. And that should be exciting and motivating for us. This isn't, we're not on our own here, but this is Jesus working through us, showing everyone, showing the world what he is like and drawing them to himself. And that's the kind of church we want to be. We want to do both. We don't want to be the truth church or the love church. We want to serve with practical love. We want to proclaim Jesus and the good news about him and accomplish the mission he gave us to make disciples. So in a nutshell, the message of God's word for us this morning is a church that proclaims and serves like Jesus will make more disciples of Jesus. So how can we, as sunrise, respond to God's word this morning? Well, one thing is that the elders, this is, I guess I'm just preaching to Ryan right now, the elders, the elders need to stay focused on praying and serving the good news about Jesus. And this was, this was really good word for me this week, especially the part about prayer. We need to remain devoted to keeping the mission in view and equipping everyone for their part in it. And you need to watch us that we keep doing that, that we don't get distracted by a million administrative tasks, that we don't start going onto a rabbit trail. You need to help us stay focused on the mission. And for you, for everyone who's engaged in serving, whether you're a ministry team head, whether you're on a ministry team, whether you're just, you're just serving people with your own gifts in your community, in your community group, in your neighborhood, I think this text affirms, it helps you to see the spiritual importance of what you do. When, when the apostles said, we need some guys to serve the widows, they didn't say, anyone will do. Just find seven guys who are unemployed and have nothing else to do and they can take care of it. They said, find godly men full of the spirit and wisdom. Find the best because serving is important. It matters. It unifies the church in love. It shows what Jesus is like. And so if you're serving, you are doing something incredibly valuable and spiritual, serving God and making the good news known about him. And you're helping us in our mission of making disciples of Jesus. And for all of us, we need to be watchful this week for opportunities, the opportunities God gives us to show practical love, to meet practical needs with our resources, with our time and our energy and our money, everything God's given us, and also opportunities to proclaim, to speak about Jesus as there are windows for the wood, as there are opportunities to say who he is and what he's done. And if we do that, the word will increase and the number of disciples multiply, as it did in Jerusalem, right here in the Cayman Islands. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for the good news about Jesus. Thank you for the word that we are saved, not through serving you, not through proclaiming good news, not through anything we do. We're saved through Jesus and what he's done on the cross. We're saved by grace. And thank you that, that when you do change our lives, you re-enlist us. You put us to work, serving with the way you've made us, speaking about Jesus. And thank you that you use churches that do that. Even though we don't deserve it, you use, you use us to bring more people to trust in Jesus so that the number of disciples multiplies. We long to see that in Cayman. Father, please, by your spirit, make us that kind of church. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.